Follow him on Twitter at Mick Akers. It's Mick Akers from the Review Journal, Sports Business, Transportation Journalist. Hello, Mick. How are you? Hey, what's going on, Ed? How are you doing? Good, man. Good, man. All right. There's so much to get into this. Let's just start with the easiest question. Are the A's coming? Hey, you know, that's the million-dollar question. And, you know, it's still the kind of the same as we wore last year. It's just, uh, they keep coming out here, checking things out here, but then they're also doing their work out there in the Bay Area. And, you know, a lot of uncertainty in both areas. We still don't know the exact site here in Vegas. They kind of mentioned a few. They're down to two, they say. Um, so they're kind of figuring out which one's going to be the final site. And then they also have a bunch of stuff going on up in Oakland with all the political parties out there. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. So, uh, you know, it's still, it's still unclear if they're coming out here or not. So let's get to the Oakland side first because there's a lot to get into here. And a lot of people, I'm sure, have kept up on it. But those who haven't maybe don't understand what's happening in Oakland and why this is kind of a precipice to them maybe moving where where does everything stand in Oakland? Uh, Libby Schaff is quoted often. She's at least out there, correct me if I'm wrong, saying they she wants them to stay. Obviously, they don't want to lose yet another team. Uh, but where do things stand in Oakland right now in terms of this whole relocation scenario? Yeah, so the next thing up there is going to be a, a key vote on the 30th of this month uh, with the Bay Area uh, Conservation. They kind of look over the any kind of shoreline over there. So uh, any kind of activity going on with shorelines or ports or anything like that, uh, they kind of have the say on that. So they're looking to get the port designation off, off the Howard Terminal site which would open up the possibility to build a stadium there. So, you know, if they get a no on that, that kind of, you know, makes the whole Oakland situation dead in the water. They, they have that going on while they're still waiting to get a final term sheet signed with the city uh, council of Oakland. And, you know, city, they came out with their own version last July, which the A's didn't agree with. So they had some sticking points with uh, community benefits and, you know, some of these other things, and they still have the same exact issues uh, one year later. So, you know, they've been kind of going back and forth with, with no real progress, it seems like, even though I guess they're having daily meetings on this. Uh, they could also put this out, you know, as a public referendum in November. So it would only be an advisory uh, note. So if, if the, you know, residents of Oakland said, hey, yeah, we, we're, we want this stadium built here, that's not a binding agreement there. That's just kind of some, you know, giving recommendations to some of the city council meet, uh, members out there to kind of go forward and say, all right, we're going to work this out, which would push a uh, binding agreement, which the A's are wanting until like probably two, 2023. And they're trying to get this done this year. So, um, you know, up in anywhere in California with any kind of political stuff, it, it's, there's a lot to go, you know, behind the scenes is way more stuff compared to say out here in Nevada. So, you know, there's, you know, tons of stuff, tons of stuff going on. And, you know, the A's are just kind of, waiting to see how it works out, but, you know, just, you know, too much to say, you know, which, which way well, it's going to go. Do you know, uh, I've seen so many different numbers along the way, do you know the request or the desire of the A's for the amount of public money in Oakland, what it would work out to be? Um, it's basically tied to infrastructure care, you know, costs, anything about, you know, on-site, a couple things on the off-site. Uh, last time I checked, it was around 400 million. dollars. Um, so this is this would only go forward if the, you know, the, the stadium is built because it's going to be generating tax off of the stadium. So right. if, if the stadium doesn't get built, this is not a tax that's in place. So, it, you know, that's what the, the A's always stick at. Hey, this isn't going to be something that is there regardless. So, you know, um, it's kind of that 400 some million dollars around there. Uh, you've been up there for games. I think they announced the attendance and it's never that much. Um, 
Ron Kontowski, I thought, did a nice story uh, for our paper this uh, this weekend about, you know, how invested they are towards having a good team. I know Kavel has talked about it in the past, and Billy Bean is like, well, you know, if you get a new stadium, you get a new ballpark, it's more revenue. Uh, that would, in turn, have us buy new players or get new players and come back to be competitive. I don't know if everyone believes that because Fisher doesn't seem like someone who spends a ton anyway. What's been your sense, uh, at least from fans or people up there, in terms of do they want them to stay, or are they just kind of fed up with how they've, they kind of penny pinch things for years? Even though they, even though when they've done that, they've actually been successful as well. Yeah, you know, I, I think I just kept, you know, keeps dragging out. Um, it kind of starts shifting more towards, hey, we just want to answer. Um, you know, the most part they do want them to, you know, keep the team up there. It's their last one, losing the Raiders here, and then the Golden State Warriors and went across the Bay to San Francisco. Uh, you know, so they're like, Hey, this is longstanding tradition. We, you know, we've had families and generations, you know, come out here and enjoy games. Uh, but they, you know, they see what's going on, I guess, on both sides. They say some, you know, it's like a half and half blame. Some blame the A's, some blame politicians out in Oakland. Um, but you know, for the most part, they do want to you know, keep the team there. Obviously uh, they, they understand the Coliseum is not a viable site. Obviously if you've been there, in recent times, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's outdated and, you know, they, they do definitely need a new stadium wherever it is to Oakland or Las Vegas. Uh, but the fans are, I think they, they just want an answer. They're kind of tired of this thing, you know, kept dragging out uh, over this year now. It, it obviously it's been like five years since they've been talking about this stuff. Um, but, you know, they're, they're just kind of ready to have a, you know, some kind of definite answer if they're going to stay or go. Mice in the soda machine are enough for me. Start getting the rats and the mice <laughs> in the soda machine in the press box and you probably need a new stadium. Uh, let's move it down to Vegas now. Did you ever think in the beginning, uh, when you heard that this was happening, that this was n- another leverage play and people, because of the Raiders, because of the Knights, everyone wants to come to Vegas now, the NBA, you know, everyone's saying, hey, it's going to be Seattle and Vegas for the NBA. Did you ever think in the beginning, well, hold on here, is are they just throwing Vegas out there because it's kind of the, the, the sexy new town and they really just want to stay in Oakland? You know, initially, you know, you, you got to think that, right? right off the bat when they, you know, first started looking out here, um, you know, without knowing what exactly they were going to do, but, you know, it's been a year and they've been coming out here spending time and money. Obviously they said they've been out here every week, you know, the last month. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of effort to put in. If you're just kind of doing a leverage play, um, you know, you saw commissioner Manfred mentioned how much the, the league likes Las Vegas has, has a market itself. So, you know, some people are saying, Hey, this is maybe it could be half and half with the A's having real interest and the A's also doing some groundwork for major league baseball. Obviously if, if the A's are spending their own money, that kind of, you know, it doesn't make too much sense, but you know, I, you know, at first there was that thought, Hey, this could be a leverage play, but you know, how this plays out, you know, it's been over a year now. Uh, you know, I don't think they, they would put this much time and effort if it's just a leverage play. Follow on Twitter at Mick Akers. It's Mick Akers here uh, from the Review Journal with us. So Steve Hill's been quoted in some of your stories. I think everyone's like, whoa, 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 $750 million to the Raiders on public money. We don't want to get public money anymore. Legislatures, Sislak have all said they don't know if there's temperature for public money in certain veins. But uh, Steve Hill has come out and said, well, there's different ways to do this. Explain to the people listening, if it's not a room tax, how different sorts of public money could be given that might be accepted by the public in terms of something more than just a tax where they don't want that again. Right. Yeah. So they came out, Steve Hill, you know, came out to, Hey, this is not going to be a room tax situation. Like he doesn't think there's any more room for room taxes. I'm not sure if he's seen, but there's all kinds of different room taxes added on to hotel bills, obviously mainly paid by tours. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, they haven't really 
mention exactly what they're, you know, looking at that could be a possibility, but I'm, I'm assuming some kind of tax break with, you know, land deals or something like that. Uh, nothing too major, but, you know, anything helps sweeten the pot with, and help them, you know, come here. You know, I'm sure they're all for that, especially with baseball having more games in NFL or hockey. So, obviously, that's going to be more room nights and all that. So, uh, you know, the tours official are very aware of, you know, how many games and home games they're going to have if they have a Major League Baseball team here. Right. So, you know, they it went from, hey, no public money at all to now saying, hey, well, yeah, actually, we could, you know, we can figure some things out. There's all kinds of things we can do. So, you know, I, I wouldn't imagine it'd be too major, but obviously anything that's going to help draw the A's here, I'm sure they'll help them out. Do you have a gut feeling on where these two sites are and what do you think would be the best in terms of what you know about ballparks and, and transportation in this town? We know what's happening around Allegiant Stadium and TROP now. I mean, there's some transportation issues. So if you had a choice, where do you think's the best place and do you have a gut feeling on where these two places might be that he's looking at? Well, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, focus on the Tropicana site um, mm-hmm. and that's still in play. So, you know, I'm thinking that's where they're leaning uh, obviously, that's going to be right in the T-Mobile and Allegiant Stadium area. So that's going to be like a trifecta of sports uh, facilities right there, and that's going to be a, you know a major you know traffic issues. There's already issues there in, anyway, but I uh, add another you know thirty thirty five thousand seat stadium right there. You know that's just going to be you know even more of a draw you know traffic and all that such. But they're trying to get the boring company thing going. You know before sometime next year for Allegiant Stadium, there's going to be like a Tropicana Loop right there in the south end that's supposed to be up and running at some point next year. Steve Hill said. Uh, so I'm not sure how much that would take off the roads, but uh, you know the sites that they've looked at, they say they're in the resort corridor. You know we've heard some stuff about the Sahara site over Sahara and Las Vegas Boulevard where they have that. Um, you know, that event space for outdoor festivals and such. And then they've mentioned the Tropicana site, and then they mentioned the Wild Wild West site across Tropicana over the 15 there. Uh, so they're all, you know, in, in areas that are already pretty heavily congested as far as traffic goes. So, it, you know, any once one they pick, uh, it, it's going to have their own traffic issues no matter where they go. Boy, if they go around Tropicana, and you know that place as well as anyone, that could really back things up, couldn't it? Oh, yeah, you know, you already see the backup, you know, just on a normal day. So obviously say, hey, you got a few things going on at this stadium, this arena, that stadium. It, it could be a nightmare. They have that new uh, Tropicana I-15 uh, project going off right now. They just got underway. That's going to be a several-year project as well. So, you know, that's going to have major traffic impact over there. Obviously, this stadium, if they built it over there, you know, take a few years to get up and running, obviously. So yeah, I think that might end before that opens. So maybe that can, you know, help ease some of the pain there. But yeah, that you know, Tropicana, uh, Las Vegas Boulevard, 15 area is you know one of the worst traffic areas in town. Final question for all the reporting you've done here on June 20th: Do you think they're coming? Um, yeah, I, I think the longer this plays out, the the more the needle starts going to yes. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll say, hey, wait, wait till July, and then we'll see. You know, we'll go from there. Thanks, Mick. Great stuff. We appreciate it. I think so. I appreciate you having me. Follow him on Twitter, at Mick Akers. does a terrific job, sports business and transportation for the Review Journal. What do you think, DeMond? they coming? Uh, I don't think so. Really? I you don't know, think DeMond, so. you're going I don't no. Think, I don't think that the city wants them that bad. All right. Even on land deals and stuff? Just give them some land. Would you put it this way? If it's not a room tax and it's not taking any money out of your pocket and they're just going to give them some land, would you be okay with that as a citizen? I'd be okay with it as a citizen, but the fan base, who's going to these games? Well, that's a great question. Like I said, Kentowski did a great story in the Review Journal 
on how they've gotten rid of so many players and they've just cut salary and cut salary. And their point is, no, give us a ballpark. We'll start spending more money. I'm not so sure I believe it. They have an owner who just doesn't spend a lot of money. And I all of a sudden, this guy's going to change his ways and say, oh, I'm going to spend a ton of money. Exactly. We saw with the Golden Knights that last season. Yeah, it was like people, you've seen so many people. I'm trying to sell my tickets tonight. People just didn't want them because they weren't a winner. NFL, that's a different animal. Everybody's going to want to come to an NFL game. So many times it was 50-50 with the away crowd. But baseball, it isn't that big of a draw if your team's not winning. All right, when we come back, again, thanks to Mick Akers for coming on. When we come back, it's Candy's Chonies. Traffic. Candy's Chonies. Wait. Candy's Chonies. You don't call your bread buns. What do you call them? Candy's Chonies. Bread. Candies, chonies. Well, bread is a substance. What do you call the units of bread you use? Breads? All right, Ed. Father's Day is over. I feel the need to start Monday on the right foot. So I need to empty out whatever is left in my chonies here with you and see if we can maybe get you a victory. I want to get you a win today. Let me tell DeMond what's about to happen. You're going to do Candy's Chonies. You're going to give me numbers, of which I'll have no idea what you're talking about. I will guess it will be bad guess, and you're going to have to correct me. DeMond, are you ready? (laughs) Oh, I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now, I I have not allowed DeMond into my Chonies before, but hey, there's a first time for everyone. Sure. Um, Yeah. Uh, you know, just just you know, close your eyes and it'll be over soon. Okay, so let's go with ah, which one is like I want to go with first. Oh, I'll go with this one. Fifty-two point nine percent. Fifty-two point nine percent. And I will give you your first clue so that you're not starting from absolutely nothing. It's a baseball number. Fifty-two point nine percent. Oh man. Okay. Fifty-two point nine percent. Yeah, it, it it is. It's odds. It's odds of something happening. The Dodgers winning the West. He claims he never gets one right, Damon. He claims he never gets a single one right, and those are the Fangraphs odds for the Los Angeles Dodgers to win the National League West. This wow! Year. All right, let's quit. Candy's Jones. We can just call it off right here. We're, we're, we've got a nine-minute break until Mike Gravali comes home. <laughs> Oh, no, we're just going to spend the next five minutes trying to decipher what we think Mike Grimaldi's mystery. Now you did, about. you did give me a ton of. Uh, I'm going to take that one though. I know you gave you me need a lot. to take. I, no, I need to take that one. You absolutely yeah. take the credit for yes. that one because I didn't give you much beyond baseball. odds of something happening in baseball. Yes. That could have been anything. Wow. All okay. right. So I, that, well, I now it, it doesn't matter if I fail miserably the rest of the way. I, oh I, no, I no, you're, you're, this, you're, that's you're, the one, first one I've hit. No, you're, you, you've absolutely won the, uh, the, the me recording your answering machine message. Like, this is clearly a victory for you. Now I ask, ask you a question. Uh, are those odds accurate? Do you believe that the Dodgers' odds of winning the West right now are at just about better than 50%? Yeah, with all their injuries. I'm, I'm going to make the, I'm gonna be the uh, whiner and excuse myself for injuries in this pitch. Like I said, I don't know what you think, but I think Gonsolin and Anderson are coming back to the fold. Both 8-0, and they've done great. I'm not saying they haven't, but... I just can't believe uh, that they're going to keep this up. And now Bueller's on the shelf probably for till August, if not that. May's not coming back till August. Um, I, I, Clayton Kershaw is my second favorite Dodger of all time behind Stephen Wayne Yeager. 
But, you know, again, age, he's already been on the IL one time. So I think 52%. I would assume, Adam, they're they're the highest and then the Padres? Yeah, Padres are at about 33%. Okay. Giants are checking in around, I uh, believe it's around 15 16%. Okay, so, all right. You know, I, I think that's about, honestly, I, I'm right there. I'm, I'm feeling good about that. I think the Dodgers clearly are still the favorite, but these injuries have to catch up at some point. Uh, but again, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Until I see it with the Padres, I won't necessarily right. believe it, and they've got plenty of injury concerns yes. of their own. Okay. All right. My hand is back in beyond the waistband. I'm going to pull one more out. 1.42. 1.42, Ed. 1.42. Tony Gonsolin, ZRA. You are now two for two. Oh! Oh, Damon, you, you are now the producer of this show from this day forward. <laughs> I don't know who else produces the show. I don't even remember their names. But you are you are now the producer of the show. Forget about any other show. It's your good luck that you've brought me. It's it. Jared Justice can uh, yes. can stay wherever Danny the hell who. he is. It Danny doesn't who. matter. He, anywho. Now, to your point, here's the question about Tony Gonsolin. That, that, if he had enough innings to qualify, he's just under the threshold to qualify for... Uh, the ERA title. Right now, Tony Gonsolin would lead Major League Baseball starters in earned run average at 1.42. Now, if I want to go a little analytics on yeah, you, sure. I could have go gone on the analytics number and tried to trip you up, but I gave you the one that you had a shot at, and you nailed it. His XFIP, his expected fielding independent percentage, is 3.68. So you say you think he might come back to earth at some point, but so far, Ed, uh, he has not allowed more than two earned runs in a start, and there were those Dodger fans that I've talked to who thought all he needed was this chance all along. I've heard that. I've heard that. That maybe that, you know, and I saw who told me that because, you know, Bueller was the open day starter, then Kershaw. Kershaw started 4 0, and then Gonsolin. And I forget a Dodger fan who said, Oh, I thought he should have been, he, he, he could end up being the ace of the staff. And I said, Really? And this is early on. Now he's 8 0. And. It's the pessimist in me that says he's going to come back, but maybe maybe he won't. Maybe my guy was right. Like you, you've got your guy who's pessimistic. I've got mm -hmm. a guy who's overly optimistic. Who and I give him credit. This was like after one week in the season, he goes, "Gonsolin's going to be the ace of the staff," and I did not believe it. And I don't know if I still. Well, I mean, now that Bueller's out, and he was he's. I mean, he had no velocity when he went out, and like I said, Kershaw's age. So there's every reason to believe my guy's going to be right at the end of the year. Yeah, your team has Walker Bueller. My team has Garrett Cole. Mm -hmm. Your ace is Tony Gonsolin, and my ace is Nestor Cortez. Yes. <laughs> but everything's going according to plan. Uh, all right, man. I have one more for you. Let's see. Th this could be not only is this already a victory for you, Ed, oh, but it's a you could have like an Avalanche oh. 7, seven oh game two performance here. All right, uh, three hundred twenty four is your next number. Three hundred twenty four, not three point two four. 324. It is also a baseball number. 324. This is going to be harder. I I would suggest you divide that number by two to give you a little bit of assistance. 324 the, divided by two is 162. Uh, it is a number of games. It is a number of games that a certain person will not play in Major League Baseball. This year? No, because it's 162. Over the next two years. Uh, in the last two years. Okay. I'm, all right. Two for three. Me. 
two for three ain't bad. Two for three ain't bad. No. Uh, 324 is the number of games on Trevor Bauer's suspension. Oh, nice. uh, Nice. He, of course, is going through the grievance process to try to get that reduced. So I wanted this last one to test your desperation as a Dodger fan. Uh, Let's say Trevor Bauer's suspension gets overturned. Do you want Trevor Bauer back on the Dodgers? No, I'm going Justin Turner's way. I don't want anything to do with the guy. He's done, huh? Yeah. E- even with those pitching yeah. injuries, he's done. No, I, I, I don't want him back. I'm going Justin Turner. Justin I Turner, don't blame you. Justin Turner said right away in the clubhouse, I guess there was a meeting, it was reported like three or four times, said he's done. We're out. I love it. Yeah. I love it. No. I'm with you. No. I'm 100%. I don't want him on the Yankees. No. You don't want him on the Dodgers. I think Trevor Bauer can go pound sand, yes. uh, even if he does go win his grievance. Yes. Uh, neither of us want him on our teams. Exactly. Well, I don't know how we're going to celebrate this, Ed, because we're Two probably going to do Candy's Chonies again at some point this week. But yeah, I hope that today is an even bigger day for you than than Father's Day and the Dodgers winning the World Series. This is a big day to celebrate for you. Matt Fitzpatrick thought he had a good day yesterday. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That guy is nothing on me. Nothing. No. I mean, basically, you just did what Matt Fitzpatrick did with that poker yes. shot, but yes. blindfolded and left-handed. Exactly. Exactly. I hit nine iron as well. All right. When we come back, great stuff there as usual from Candy's Jonies. When we come back, it's mystery writer Michael Gramala. This is the Press Box with Ed Graney and Adam Candy. Follow on Twitter at Mike Gramala. He's from the Las Vegas Sun, covering UNLV Sports and everything else over there for the Sun Sports page. How are you, buddy? I'm good. What's going on with you guys? Not much, not much. Uh, we're going to get into your uh, new writing career here in a second, but you've written a lot about Kevin <laughs> Kruger and um, summer workouts with the basketball team. First thing I want to do is, you know, he's got two scholarships left. Correct me if I'm wrong. And you had him saying, we're waiting right now. We want to make sure we have the right pieces of the team with the foreign trip. I don't think we want to rush into anything and add people just to add them. I assume you uh, agree with this stance. And if what what kind of player? And I don't know who's left in the transfer portal. I'm not even going to pretend to know how many people are left in the transfer portal. Would it be in your mind, like Tyler said last week? Hey, if you can get a top 50 player, take the top 50 player. But if not, he'd really have to fill a need at this point, right? Wouldn't I, I think it's smart to hold on to these once in a while, and you just never know who's going to become available. Yeah, I could. I can get on board with that. You know, you always want to have. Not always, but if you're a coach and you're sort of seeing how your roster shakes out and you've got a lot of newcomers, maybe you want a chance to give your team a chance to gel and see what you really need um, throughout the summer. So you, maybe you leave a spot open. Um, but they have two spots open, which is, I would say, pretty rare to this point in, in off season for a, a team like UNLV to have two open scholarships. So uh, it is an unusual situation. Um, I don't think it's necessarily uh, a bad sign or an ominous sign, but it, it is something that's unusual. There are pieces that they need. You know, if you're looking for types of players, they, they could definitely use a wing with some size. They could use a, another proven big man. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of weird to see a team with two open scholarships, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's a bad thing. Mike, I'm kind of having trouble recalibrating how I look at off seasons in the transfer portal era, because we see some rankings and we see that Kevin Kruger supposedly did fairly well in the transfer portal. And yet it's, it's the second consecutive year where you're going to bring back next to nothing that was there the year before. And you kind of don't know, well, okay, you can go by ratings and figure out that they're getting a bunch of good players, but you have very little idea how it's all going to fit together. So how are you evaluating what UNLV could be next year in this kind of era when everyone's new? 
it's tough because you've got to hit on a bunch of different pieces all at the same time. You know, it's not really a game of collecting talent um, long-term anymore. If you look at UNLV last year, um, they did hit on some transfers. They brought in, you know, the two Texas kids, Royce Ham and Donovan Williams, who I would say were both, you know, big hits, guys who had pretty much no track record uh, of extensive playing time in college. They came to UNLV. They were both pretty good players. Uh, but that's not like that's not enough. If you're bringing in an entirely new roster every year, you need you can't just hit on two transfers. You, you've got to hit on five. You've got to hit on six, and that's hard to do. You know, from an evaluation standpoint, like hey, good job for those coaches for identifying those two diamonds in the rough. But you're asking a lot of a coaching staff to identify six diamonds in the rough every year and win win the transfer portal that way. So the way I see it, you've either got to start bringing in longer term guys who are. Someone like an Isaiah Cottrell is a good example, who could be a Royce Hams type this year to have a good year, but he's got three years of eligibility left. So that's a good start. Or you've just got to start recruiting surer things in the transfer portal. Um, there's only, only so many swings you can take at a guy who averaged two points for his college career. They've got to start getting some guys who are proven double-figure scorers, guys who are proven that you just know are going to come in and be good players. I think they got one guy like that this year, uh, Elijah Harkless from Oklahoma. He's a double-digit scorer uh, in the Big 12. He's a guy that's pretty much proven. You know what he's going to be. So you, you've got to bring in, if you're going to take chances on projects, they've got to be multiple years of eligibility, and you've got to start getting some proven performers in the in the transfer portal. That's the way I see it um, from an evaluation standpoint. They have five returning players uh, that got time last year. Who can we expect to take that jump that has to take now with um, Williams and, and Hamilton gone? Are any of these guys, are they just going to um, – rely on the transfers to take those kind of jumps? I think there's a couple guys who could take a, a, a jump this year. Um, Keyshawn Gilbert, who was a freshman last year, he's obviously a really good defender. You're, you're waiting to see if he can take the next step offensively, where he can be on the court for 35 minutes a game and not kill you on the offensive end. He started a handful of games last year. And then the big man, David Milwaukee, who's coming back, I think he's got big time potential. I think he could, you know, he's a guy who could potentially lead the league in blocks. Um, really good interior defender. Um, he started a handful of games last year. I think those are two guys who could, who are returning players who are going to compete for starting jobs this year. So those are the two guys I would point to as like, these are the guys that you're kind of building around from last year. All right, Mike. Uh, we were talking to. Brad Powers, college football handicapper on a different show earlier this week, and he was telling us that when the Golden Nugget put up its UNLV football game-by-game uh, game lines this year, that he basically was betting against the Rebels in every game individually. Now, if you go and look at DraftKings, the number's four and a half. Under is the shaded side, minus 130. Um, I look at it and say, if I just were to cover the name, right, cover the UNLV name and look at how many close games they lost last year that I would think some of those might potentially have a chance to break their way this year. So uh, are you more optimistic for UNLV this year than you were last year? I think close games, they were they really did. Uh, they didn't win a lot of close games last year. They, they gave away a lot of games they should have won. When I look at close games, this is me personally. I'm looking at coach. I'm looking at quarterback. That's how you win close games. Um, and they're bringing in a guy. They're probably going to start a new quarterback this year, um, someone who hasn't played a lot, um, someone who's a, a, a Harrison Bailey, who's a four-star recruit a couple years ago, but didn't really get a chance to play much at Tennessee. So 
the quarterback is still a question mark. And the coaching, you know, you're hoping that Arroyo gets better, but we saw them struggle, you know, with uh, game management in some close games last year. So if you're looking at coach quarterback, UNLV is not in the strongest position to say, like, oh, all those games that they lost in the fourth quarter last year, they're due to regress, some regression to the mean where they'll win some this year. I, I can't just give them that just because there's still so much uncertainty in that, that coach-quarterback uh, uh, combination. So I I don't know. I, I can't. That's tough. Like, close games they lost last year, they might win them, but they also might lose them just like they lost them last year. I know it's just for basketball at this point, but you can add football and you can add all sports. What did you think of the NIL uh, um, uh, group that uh, came together to try to enhance their NIL uh, payouts to these kids? I mean, I don't think, look, they're not going to compete with Alabama. I don't think they expect that. But um, do you know if they're getting hurt with NIL in recruiting? Do you expect them to do better with NIL? We had Bill Paulus on the show last week talking about it, and again, mostly his was basketball in terms of NIL. I think they need to do it with other sports as well. I don't know what they're doing with football and NIL, um, but talk about that and, and the group they formed and where you think NIL fits into the spectrum of a UNLV comparative to like a Power Five. I think the group that they uh, started is a good step. Like that's a, a, a good start, like baby steps, like, that group is something that should exist for UNLV, you know, but, um, but, you know, celery just exists. It doesn't mean that it's doing you any good. You know what I mean? (laughs) Amen Um, to that. (laughs) Worst food on earth. So it's like, yes, it should be there, but are, are they basically, I mean, it sounds kind of crude, but this is where we are today. Like, are they putting in enough money for it to make a difference? Probably not. Um, I haven't gone behind the scenes and figured out, like, and, and talked and seen how much they're willing, like, how much are you going to get these athletes? Is UNLV in a position to win a bidding war for a, a game-changing type prospect? I don't think so. Um, could they be in the future? Like you said, they're not going to um, hand out million-dollar contracts and beat out these blue-blood schools for elite uh, high school recruits. But if you can steal a player from Colorado State, if you can steal a player from TCU or like or some you know school that's not necessarily blue blood. Maybe you can get one or two recruits that way. I I don't know. It's still so early in the the NIL thing to um, say anything definitively. I know that UNLV has not been very good in terms of um, booster influence um, in recent years. Uh, so the NIL thing, we'll have to see where it goes. But it's a it's a good start. It should be there, uh, and you know you're you're hoping that they can pool enough together to make a difference in either basketball or football, because that's, that's really what counts. All right, now, far more important, you've taken up a new uh, type of writing. I want to know uh, where this came from, uh, how you're enjoying it, and where people can read your stuff. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, not a, it's more of a hobby. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've been doing some, some uh, mystery and crime writing uh, for the past year or so. Had a, a few things published, but... Yeah, no, I'm I'm your typical guy. I I don't know where you guys fall, but I'm definitely at the forensic files, first 48. You know, anything true crime or cold case. Like I'm always watching that and I'm reading that 24/7. So it was kind of a an easy step to hey, let's let's try this uh, from a fictional standpoint, see if I can uh, do anything with it. So that's how I spend all my spare time. For anyone out there who's wondering what I do when UNLV is not playing or practicing, uh, I'm pretty much just hunched over my laptop trying to come up with, you know, mystery stories. Has it become easier for you? Uh, No, no. It's really hard. Writing is hard. It's hard to think of 
uh, crime scenarios and mysteries that make sense. It's really hard. I'd much rather um, try to tell you, I'd much rather try to figure out how a team lost a game than to figure <laughs> out how someone broke into this locked room and committed a crime and then got out without unlocking the door. That's much more difficult. Have you written anything about a wife who kills her husband because he won't eat any of her cooking? And not that you would have anything to know about this, but just, you know, uh, someone who's such a picky eater that she decided, I can't deal with this anymore, and killed him. Well, see, I've, uh, I did lay out uh, an, an elaborate uh, scenario like that. I haven't written the final chapter. But when I, start, when I start dating someone, I slip them the manuscript, and I say, can you figure out how she did this? <laughs> and if she can figure it out, then, you know, that's the end. Then, you know, I dump her and I move on because I don't need someone knowing how to do that. You've had a few things published, right? Where were they? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've had uh, just some short stories published. Um, uh, Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, mm-hmm. which is a, a pretty uh, famous magazine. That's I'm pretty proud of that. Um, Prime Ucopia is another magazine. Uh, Guilty Magazine. Uh, yeah, I'm just... Anytime I write something, I fire it off, and I hope someone out there likes it enough to publish it. Well, I'm sure they will. Uh, he does a great job covering sports. Now he's uh, Stephen King. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Ramallah. Mike Ramallah from Las Vegas. And best of luck with the mystery writing, and we'll talk to you soon about UNLV. Thanks, dudes. Take care of yourself. There he is, Mike Ramallah of the Las Vegas Sun. Oh, mystery writer. Good for that kid. It, it's not easy. It's not easy. Both of us know writing is a difficult thing when you sit down and you try to pound some stuff out, but then you take it to a whole other level of sports, 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 and now you're trying to write mystery. Dude, fiction to me is a whole other universe that I wouldn't yeah. even dream of trying. Like, I hardly have the ego to be a uh, you know nonfiction writer, but like thinking that I could come up with a story that anyone would want to read, I, I'm not quite at that point. Uh, me either. I, I, I just it's it's too difficult. I give the kid a lot of credit. All right, another giveaway. Four pack of tickets in the fan zone. Thanks to West Star Credit Union and Finley Volkswagen Henderson. We're going to give you four pack of tickets to the Red Hot Las Vegas Aces when they take on the Chicago Sky. Uh, that is on the 21st, so that's tomorrow night at the Michelob Ultra Arena in Mandalay Bay. Tickets available at AXS.com. So four pack of tickets, fan zone, West Star Credit Union and Finley Volkswagen Henderson, 702-364-1100, 702-364-1100. DeMond's going to take caller number four back after this. This is the Press Box with Ed Graney and Adam Candy. Congratulations to Landry. He won the Morrissey tickets and to Bernard. He's going to the Aces tomorrow night. Uh, good job by those guys. We'll have more uh, tickets tomorrow. I think to Morrissey and to the Aces, just give us a call uh, when we ask you to. And Danny will be back, and he'll be picking up those calls. Great job by DeMond today. Um, the Warriors are having their parade today. Do you like parades? I've only been to one in my life, and I ended up missing my flight home afterward because I think I enjoyed it too much. Yeah, I went to – I actually covered the last Warriors parade. I don't know what we were doing in the Bay Area. It had to be something Raiders-related, and the Warriors were having the parade. So we said, hey, it would be really cool to cover it. It wasn't cool when they said you had to be there at 4 a.m. Oh, my God. What, was the Secret Service going to scan you? Yeah, it was was absolutely nuts. It was myself, John Saraceno, who was with us at the paper at that point, and Heidi Fang, I believe, and uh, we had to show up there four four thirty to get through security, and they gave us platforms to sit on, and we just sat there until the thing started. Now the thing started, you know, in the morning. I think Demond said it's it's a uh, it's a morning parade for the uh, for the Warriors. Not a shock that they. Uh, I guess this isn't a shock. They came to Vegas to celebrate. I think Jordan Poole got himself a uh, 
a, a nightclub and they came to Vegas on the way home. Uh, impressive. Uh, very impressive. Uh, it's interesting to me, though, Ed. You didn't mention one name in there, and I thought he was the Warriors lifer fan of all time. Adam Hill wasn't there. I figured such I a such a long term fan wouldn't miss that yes, opportunity. Yes, because he's a lifetime fan of that team, Adam Hill. I don't believe he was. It was the Durant year. I think it was the. I definitely know Durant was there. I remember that. Um, which oh, help me remember this. Which former UNLV? Oh, Pat McCaw. Remember Pat Patrick McCaw? McCaw? He was Pat, on that team. He got a ring. Well, he's. I think he's had a couple of rings. I think he was yeah, with, he Kawhi, with the Toronto oh, yeah. Raptors too. Yeah, he was. He was with Kawhi and the Raptors. Um, but Pat McCaw was on that team. Crack of dawn. I, I. It was so early that we got there, and it was just ridiculous. And then it was like cool in the morning. And then by the time the parade hit, it was just sweltering. Uh, Let me tell you about the single most overrated parade viewing experience in all of life. Uh, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York. Um, oh. Look, it's fine on TV, right? Yeah. You're sitting in your house. You're getting ready for the meal, right? Football's going to come on soon. You're, you're, you're eating pie before you should be eating pie. It's perfect, right? Like everything about it. But when you have to go out there among millions of people and you have to get out there at the crack of dawn to get a spot, you're basically getting out there when the sun goes up if you want to be able to get a spot because they only have those little bleachers for a handful of people. Otherwise, you're standing on the sidewalk like every other dolt in the world, and it's 20 degrees out. You are freezing your everything off, and you're standing there for hours on end, even before the parade actually starts. And then it starts, and it's like, oh, there goes the balloon. Oh, there goes the next balloon. And then you walk back inside frozen. This was your parade. This is this the one parade you went to? No, no, I, I went to that parade. No, the one par the sports parade that I went to was uh, the 1999 New York Yankees. Oh, uh, nice. Oh yeah, right. I went went to New York. I was there for the Chad Curtis walk off against the Braves. My uh, my poor self couldn't afford tickets to Game Four, but my buddy and I stayed around for the parade. We had a lovely, lovely time. So lovely that I ended up spending 200 bucks for a hotel at JFK because uh, I missed my flight. There you go. Great yeah, stuff today, times. Adam. You're absolutely terrific. We really appreciate it. Well, you and I will be back uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, Tyler back tomorrow. And then no show on Friday. None of us want to work Friday. Thanks to all our callers. Thanks to our guests. And again, uh, Landry and Bernard, congratulations. You're the winners of the tickets. We'll give out more tomorrow. We'll see you then.